I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a special Cheeky Scientist radio show. I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel. I'm very excited for today's show because it's the first time uh, that I've been able to put together a comprehensive job search guide for PhDs, a question that I get asked a lot more frequently than just about any other question is, Isaiah, if you had to break down the job search process into the core steps, what would that be? What would those steps be? So I've narrowed it down to five core steps that I'm going to outline for you. This is a a protocol, a lab protocol, if you will, or a lesson plan, uh, if you will, uh, for the job search process. I'm going to cover job titles, resumes, LinkedIn referrals, and interviews. This is the most comprehensive uh, uh, radio show I have ever done. So make sure you pay attention all the way through to the end because – I see a lot of PhDs making the mistake of learning one thing or even a dozen things about their job search that takes them to a certain point in their job search, but they didn't learn the entire protocol. They didn't look ahead. It's like getting – if you're a PhD that has worked in a lab, it's like getting a protocol and just learning the first three steps even though there's 20 steps on the protocol, just reading the first three and starting You never do that. You read all the way through to the end because you need to be prepared for the next step. You need to have an understanding of the scope of what's involved. If you have never worked in a lab, then think of it as a lesson plan. you got to read through the entire lesson plan. You don't just figure it out as you go. Yet, that's what most of us do. So let's jump in to the radio show. I'm going to talk about what you need to do to get hired. We're going to learn step-by-step here. Everything from figuring out the right job for you all the way through to interviewing. And uh, we're going to start now. So make sure you, you buckle in, stay until the end so you understand the entire process. And we're going to jump in now. All right. So with that, let's get into the five-step methodology. Okay. So updating your resume to highlight your transferable skills. How many of you have updated your resume at least once? How many of you have targeted your resume for a specific industry position? Now, stay with me. How many of you have targeted it a couple of times? Now, how about this? Stay with me. How many of you targeted it a few times? It didn't work. You didn't get a response. You didn't get a phone screen and you stopped targeting it. Or you just started using the same resume or you targeted it like the bare minimum amount. You changed like maybe five keywords and sent it off. If you have done that, right? If you have reached that point where you've targeted your resume, you've sent it off, and you're targeting it now with maybe less and less, or you're feeling a bit hopeless, like you're like targeting doesn't work, right? And Or if you're targeting overall is just you adding five to 10 keywords, if that's as far as you've gone, right? So let's talk about this. I want to make sure we're all starting in, in the same place, okay? You've seen me show this before, hopefully. You've seen me teach this. A resume isn't enough to get you a job, okay? The perfect resume is not enough to get you a job. It's important, though, because a bad resume can keep you from getting a job. A bad resume can tank you at the very end of your job search because what happens at the the very end after you interview and the hiring committee they meet? What happens? What document do they pass around? 
What document do they pass around at the very end after you've interviewed on your site visit, when they're debating on who to give a job offer to, or in between after the phone screen, if they're deciding on whether or not to go to the next step for a panel interview, what document are they passing around? Somebody tell me, Anjana, Eileen, somebody tell me. Yeah, right, your resume. Do you know how important this document is to get right? and how, how specific it needs to be. Now I wanna give you some brand new information. Okay, you've seen, maybe you've seen me show this before. This is, what kind of software is this? Who can tell me? What kind of software is this? What's the acronym? Applicant tracking system software. Looks at keywords, right? They can add stuff, they can add notes in the background, looks for gaps on your resume, looks for salary. What keywords do you think are weeding out PhDs right now? What are some of the easiest ones? Like you notice how some of these are grayed out and others aren't? What are the most common ones to weed out PhDs? Like you're uploading your resume. What does it see at the top of your work experience section that automatically grays you out? Let's, let's think, talk about the low hanging fruit first. So team player is one of them, right? So I'm gonna to talk to you about more of these corporate words in a second. Your academic job titles, graduate research assistant, postdoctoral fellow, that automatically weeds you out because the algorithms are smart today. They go into your work experience section. They know that you pulled out a title. And so it keys in on that as this is an important word to you. And it connects it and, and compares it to the database that the employer has put in as important words. No, there's no matches. You're weeded out. Salary expectations. You can't leave that blank. If you do, you will be weeded out. What you need to do for your salary expectation, how many of you have been asked for your salary expectations? There's a new strategy for this. How many of you have been asked for your salary expectations when you upload your resume? How many of you get a range? How many of you have no idea what to put in there? <laughs> if you're being honest with yourself, like you can do research, but you don't really know. What you wanna do is you wanna find the average you want to find the average. So, and by the average, we're PhDs, right? So don't just go to one source, Glassdoor or salary.com. Go to three or four and take the average of all of them. Okay. Decrease it by 10% and make that your top number. I just had a conversation about this, right? It's kind of a, an arms race. Like we have to figure out as job candidates, the right thing to do. And then the employers try to figure out the right thing to do. Right now, the best thing to do is take an average of at least three websites, take that average, that's your, gonna be your top part of the range, decrease it by 10%. Now you can't put zero in the bottom. So what do you wanna put in the bottom? Cut that top number in half, that's your bottom. Remember this early on in your job search, you just want to punt. You just want to deflect. You just want to be considered. It changes, right? I mean, some of it changes week by week. I mean, day by day, really. Very important. Okay, so how to choose your right resume format. If you're, some of you, look at, you get, it's so easy to change your, your gold standard or reverse chronological order resume format to a recruiter format. It makes a big difference. You have to give a different resume to a recruiter because they know. They know that you're prioritizing them by putting those technical skills to the top, that, that the three column list, which is the only difference here. They know you're prioritizing them. 
I just had in-depth conversations with a couple of data scientists yesterday, and they talked about the sidebar resume format is the gold standard for data scientist positions and for a few other key positions, right? You can't just wing it. You can't just say, oh, I'm just going to do this because, you know, it's 70% is good. It doesn't work that way. And you can burn bridges. You have to take the extra effort. It's about quality, not quantity. Okay, so these are the formats that we have. The gold standard format. Who does not have their resume in this format yet? Type in me in the chat box. It's okay if you don't, just curious how many of you here don't have it in this format yet. You have to put your resume in this format. How many of you put your resume in this format and you saw instant changes in the responses that you got? You started getting traction. It took some effort, but you did. Who's done it? Type in yes. Brittany says me or me. That's fine too. Min says me or yes. Great. Exactly. See, so I'll, for those of you that haven't done it yet, change it to this format. Now, you might see this format and think, okay, great. The format is... Uh, you know, maybe previously you thought the format was the challenging part. How many of you thought the format was going to be the tough part? And then you got it in the format and you realized, oh, what about the bullet points? <laughs> the bullet points are the actual challenging part, right? So whether you use a gold standard format, and this is something that I love working with PhDs one-on-one -on -one with. I love writing their resumes. The first thing that I always do is I always change it to a functional format because all of you are getting into either your first industry job or into a new industry position, which means you should use a functional format. Who has not used a functional format yet? Here's the key to a functional format. Now, this looks like a lot of your work experience sections, right? You all have, some of you have this graduate research assistant, postdoctoral fellow, right? It's in chronological order, reverse chronological. Notice the difference. If you're an employer, try to think like an employer, a gatekeeper, somebody that doesn't have a PhD, they're a recruiter, a hiring manager. They see this. What do they think? Do they think, oh, lots of industry credibility here? Oh, a personal brand that is screaming, capable industry professional. They know what they're getting into. Not so much. Now watch how this changes by turning it into a functional resume format. And I love writing these sections for PhDs. No, if you haven't seen me show this, this is crucial. What's the difference here? Imagine if you see that, what are you thinking now if you're an industry employer, somebody without a PhD, and you see this in the experience section? on either a resume or LinkedIn. You should be doing this on LinkedIn too, by the way. What do you think the employers are thinking when they see this? First impressions matter. I mean, they're gonna read the exact skill they're looking for. This would be from the job posting, right? And yeah, you're not hiding information. The information's there, but they, they're not really caring about where you got the skill. They're like, oh, they got the skill. And now they're invested, which means they'll invest more time into actually reading your bullet points. You have to get your resume into a functional format, a recruiter format, a combination format, and a sidebar format. Now, all of these formats, you can take your information and go back and forth interchangeably with our resume builder. Now, there's a lot of words, and maybe you've heard me talk about these two in particular enthusiastic team player that you need to take off your resume. This is why you need an expert to review your resume. If you're still stuck, 
this can really help you because there's a lot of this corporate speak, this jargon that you use without even realizing it. You're using phrases that have been seared into your resume from reading outdated articles or just through the ether of what you think you're supposed to put on your resume. If you're being really honest with yourself, let me guess how you're creating your resume. Sure, maybe you've learned part of our methodology, but you're still, you're creating your bullet points and you're thinking, what is the most impressive skill I can add to my bullet point? What's the most impressive thing I could add to my bullet points? And you're just recalling from memory, right? What to put in your bullet points. And you're looking at the job posting and just taking some keywords there, a few of them. And that's like your strategy. Type in yes, if I pretty much nailed it. If I pretty much nailed your strategy for your bullet points. You might have our three-part proprietary methodology, but you're just trying to recall. Right? You're spending a lot of time like, what sounds impressive? What can I recall? You know, HPLC, you know, I've worked with R. That's not a good strategy. Their ATS software programs, they are way too smart now. If you have corporate speak, like, what do I mean by that? Like 10 years of experience, 10 years of experience in microbiology, you're weeded out. Team player, enthusiastic, you're weeded out. Any of these phrases that are used repetitively will weed you out now. Why? Because it means you, it's not targeted. They have databases of the words they're looking for, but also databases of the words they're not looking for to weed out the thousands of resumes that come in. If you haven't seen this data from our friends at TalentWorks, I highly recommend looking at it right. Concrete numbers, results-oriented will increase your hireability. Uh, the methodology of these studies, hireability means odds of getting a phone screen. Buzzwords, these are your keywords, increases your hireability. Again, the corporate speak words, team player, enthusiastic, 10 years of experience, cuts your chances of getting a phone screen in half. And what about when? Everybody thinks about what and how, but we rarely think about when. Did you know applying on a Monday? Who's never seen this before? Applying on Mondays increases your chance of getting a phone screen, almost doubles your chances of getting a phone screen. Why? Because they're human beings. They come in the most motivated on a Monday. They read through all their resumes on Monday. They decide who they're going to call on Monday. And then they make all of their phone screens from Tuesday through Friday. Oh, but what are you doing? You're waiting until you have a bad day in the lab, whenever it's best for you. That's when you're uploading your resume. Mistake. Our bullet point structure, this is crucial, right? Every single bullet point. Now, how many of you, be honest again, you realize that creating your own bullet points is exhausting because you have to make so many decisions. Like, can I take credit for this? Does this make sense? And can I, does that, do these, do these three parts of my bullet point go together? How many of you find this the hardest part of your resume, putting these bullet points together? How many of you have like created like two, three really good bullet points for your professional summary? And then you kind of just gave up a little bit on your work experience section. You're like, oh, I got quantified results from my professional summary, but I can't really figure out quantified results for the bullet points of my work experience. So I'll just hope for the best. <laughs> Type in yes, if that's you. How do I know this? Right? It's almost like I've been working with people one-on-one -on -one for almost a decade. Okay. And I did it for myself. I made all of these mistakes myself. So I, I understand. Uh, what I want to show you here is I'm going to, I want to show you a couple of things. I'm going to open up a, a spreadsheet and show this to you here in a minute. And I think this will be very, 
very revealing for a lot of you. So let me let's see if I can get this open. I think it'll be helpful and we'll go in and do an exercise here in a minute. It's making me re-log in, so just one second. And then, then we'll talk about how to take your resume to the next level. Now, transferable skills. Who has seen me talk about the three types of transferable skills or the three types of core competencies? And you thought, oh, this makes sense. You comprehended it, right? Because you're a PhD and comprehension is a key transferable skill. But then you didn't really work in any of these transferable skills into your resume. Type in yes, if that's you. Or you didn't work in these exact transferable skills, which I have collected recently, and they're current for the current job market. You can't take the transferable skills that we're working in 2019. You got to try to work in the transferable skills that employers care about now. And I'm telling you, change management, performance management, personal development, professional development, virtual training, cross-functional collaboration are crucial right now. I've, I've worked with so many PhDs where I've put these skills on their resume and they immediately started getting replies when before they were not. It's almost like hiring managers and recruiters who don't have PhDs care more about these transferable skills that they can understand more than HPLC or R or your technical skills. Shocker. Every job posting, by the way, comes in three forms. There's always a primary primary angle of every job posting. Like it's telling you, and as you read through them, you'll start to see it. Every one of them is either a people-oriented job posting, a systems-oriented job posting, or a self-oriented. Now, if you get really good, and when I work one-on-one -on -one with people, I take them and I help them find the primary, like a, uh, a lot of data scientist positions are um, systems-oriented, or at least they seem to be at first, but secondarily, they're people-oriented. Some of them, if you read through the entire job posting, you'll realize these are, this is actually people-oriented as a primary and systems-oriented as a secondary. You've probably never taken it to that level, but that's what you need to do if you're, if you're stuck. There's three types, right? Self-oriented, systems-oriented, people-oriented. What I'm showing you here, all of these are important. I would get in every single one of these transferable skills on your resume. That's the level that you need to take your resume to and your LinkedIn profile to. And you can't just get away with five to 10 keywords. Not if you're here, not if you're still trying to get hired. Quantified results, number of publications, number of presentations, collaborations. Who, who is still stuck on quantified results? This is why you have to pay attention to what we teach. So this is something that I work with PhDs in the Diamond program. I'm gonna show you a couple of things. I'll start by this. Who can see this list? Every possible phrasing and combination of quantified results listed here. I mean, there's always new ones being invented, but look at this. Resulting in X number of types of reports, resulting in number of poster presentations on ABC topic, resulting in number of publications, as evidenced by TA number of professionals on ABC topic with a percentage completion rate. Type in wow if you love this. That's the information that's out there. That's the level that you have to take your professional profiles to. Okay, number two, improve your personal brand on LinkedIn. 
Now, be honest again, type in yes. If you have uh, started to, you know, you've updated LinkedIn, maybe your headline, your summary, and you kind of did a few other things and that was it. Like maybe the most amount of actual time executing as in typing was probably two hours or less. Who can be honest and say yes on LinkedIn? Something as robust and powerful and as important as LinkedIn. And we spend, I mean, the lowest amount of time possible on it, especially compared to whatever academic work, right? Because we're like, oh, I got to get this paper done or keep my PI happy or et cetera. When really, if you've decided to transition into industry, that should be secondary. Now, I love showing this because it's just so important. This is from LinkedIn and they know. And guess what? They, they're not going to give you false information as a job candidate because you don't bring LinkedIn any money. Who brings LinkedIn money? The companies. They pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in many cases for big companies to use LinkedIn Recruiter and LinkedIn Talent Insights. There's huge talent acquisition firms, et cetera, that do this. They're the ones that are keeping LinkedIn in business, not you. And so they're trying to tell you, hey, if you have a bare bones profile, it means you're not serious about getting a job. We're not going to show your profile to link to anybody on LinkedIn Recruiter or Talent Insights. We're not even going to show your profile in the search settings above other people on regular LinkedIn. You might as well have no profile at all. If you have a bare bones one, bare bones, if you have a headline and summary, that's bare bones. So right, first, avoid the red flags. Few connections. How many of you still only have connections in the hundreds? You don't even have over a thousand connections yet. Type in yes. Who's incomplete still? Their profile. They haven't completed it. Type in yes. Like it still says 80% complete or whatever. And you want to get hired into a top job? What do you think an employer's thinking? They can see if your profile is complete. They spend all day on LinkedIn. Hiring and they see your profile and it's not complete. Do you think they're thinking, wow, this person is really serious about their, their career? They don't even have the stamina to complete their LinkedIn profile. And I'm going to hire them for this job, paying them the industry average for a PhD, $91,112. And they won't even complete their LinkedIn profile. Like, what does that say? It says you think you're either above it, you can get hired without doing it, you're, you're special which again indicates to them how, how you're going to act if they hire you or that you just can't find the time. You don't, you don't take it seriously. You don't have, again, you don't have the stamina to do it. You can't, you know, you have to avoid these red flags. I, I really love digging into LinkedIn and helping PhDs create a clear message. Remember how I talked about transparency? The number one thing the algorithm is looking for is transparency. What do I mean by that? They want to see a clear story being told on your LinkedIn profile. If somebody comes, there's something called a bounce rate. If an employer comes to your LinkedIn profile and they leave it quickly, that gives you an elevated bounce rate. That's a key metric. So how quickly they bounce off your page, right? This is a metric used by every search engine, most algorithms now. So if you have a bounce rate of like 80%, you're going doing, 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 down, down, down in terms of the search results. But if people come to your page and they stay on it because instantly it's clear who you are and what you want and it tells a key story. And so if I scroll through your LinkedIn profile, like I can see what you're actually saying. Most of you, you're not even considering the job you wanna get into. You wanna be a data scientist or an MSL or an R&D and you keep just saying researcher, scientist, researcher, scientist, researcher. It's, that's, did you know that's academic language?
can you use the word expert in a field? Now in academia, that breaks a social norm. We never call ourselves experts. But in industry to a hiring manager, you are an expert. I was talking to uh, one of our program leaders for, for uh, how to get hired into an MSL position. The biggest mistake that a lot of PhDs make is they put researcher, scientist. You're never going to get hired into an MSL job and a lot of other jobs by putting researcher and scientist over and over, engineer, et cetera. They want to see expert in oncology, expert in XYZ. And guess what? Anything with that ends in ology, like you, you can, you are an expert. Like if you, you can learn any scientific discipline, you've learned science overall or engineering overall at an expert level, hence the PhD. That's the industry social norm, the industry language. So a lot of, you know, a lot of this is breaking down your limiting beliefs. Okay. And turn on your recruiter button. This set, this tells LinkedIn, Hey, I want to, I want to be found in the search results for LinkedIn recruiter or LinkedIn talent. This is where you put in the job titles you're interested in. If you haven't done this, you're not even showing up in the search results. Same with your location. And you can say, if you only want employee, they say recruiters, but it means employers. If you only want employers to see that you're open to work, you can choose that. You know, if you want to not have your PI see it. Your SSI score, who has never heard of their SSI score? Type in yes in the chat box. Now, yours is probably 30, 40, 50. Either way, it's all relative. You just want it to be higher. And it depends on what your goals are, right? So like, you know, my relationships or right people might be down because the scope is so broad. You want to tighten the scope for a specific industry that you want to get into, and that will increase your SSI score. There's four things you want to focus on as a job candidate. So what your goal is matters here. Number one, are you telling a clear story on LinkedIn? It's really hard to do this yourself because you have so many experiences you can't let go of. You don't know how to tell, uh, you know, give a narrative of who you are. I love doing this for PhDs and it's so much easier for somebody who's experienced but objective to do this. You have to engage frequently daily. The number one metric that LinkedIn looks at in terms of activity, right? And to increase your visibility is what? If you're LinkedIn, employers are paying you, right? It's not the job candidates that are paying you. Employers are paying you and, and your commitment, right? Your promise to those employers is that you will show them and give them the fastest ability to find job candidates who are serious about getting hired. What could you as LinkedIn look at in terms of the data to find who the most serious job candidates are. Not the job candidates that are gonna waste employers time, but the most serious job candidates. Who would that be? What metric would indicate who the most serious job candidates are on LinkedIn? And this is now in terms, so you want transparency and then in terms of activity, what do you wanna do? You wanna update your LinkedIn profile. Frequently, the person that is frequently updating their LinkedIn profile is the, the person who's most serious about getting a job. That is the number one most, uh, that, that is the number one metric for indicating to LinkedIn who's serious about getting a job. I would be updating my LinkedIn profile every single day, every single day. That's what it looks for. Who cares if it's every day for several weeks or several months? All it's showing to LinkedIn is, hey, look over here. I'm serious about getting hired. So when you try to batch, you're like, I'm just going to sit down for one day. I'm going to update my LinkedIn. I'm done with that. Eh, wrong thing to do if you want to get hired. 
type in uh-oh if that's you, right? You thought, oh, I had this box checked. I just batched it all at one time. You thought it looked bad to update it over. No, you want to update it frequently. You want to connect with people in a particular network. The more targeted the industry connections you have, the better. It doesn't mean you can't connect with other people because shared connections matter. I wouldn't not connect with people, but I'd focus on a market and go after it. And guess what? LinkedIn knows if you're actually building the relationships with them. Do you add a note to your connection requests? Do you send any messages to people? Do you network whatsoever? It's one-fourth of the equation, so you better be doing it. Please show a picture. If, if you haven't seen me share this story before, this was an actual associate. And I said, you got to have an, an industry-credible picture. This is what you want to have. Why? Because the algorithm is smart. It knows if it's a picture that is smiling. It knows if it's a picture that's looking forward. That's how smart the algorithm is. It knows if it can see, I mean, you know this, you use your, your smartphone and it can find your face, right? When you take a picture, it rewards you if you have an easy, non-grainy picture that you're dressed professionally, like you would dress for an interview. If it can see your eyes, nose, mouth, you will increase your visibility in the search settings, okay? So you have, right, here's just a, a looking at a, a variety of the exact types of pictures that you want to use. So this is something we go into your headline, right? You want, like, look at the snapshot here. Associate who was hired. Associate who was hired. Actually, a principal scientist now at Estee Lauder. Here's a snapshot of what you want your summary to do. And I love writing summaries with PhDs because... It's something you're not used to doing, but I have done it a lot, right? You got to put it in the first person. It's much easier for somebody to write about you than for you to write about yourself if you haven't realized. As PhDs, we have a lot of imposter syndrome. The academic social norm is to kind of downplay our accomplishments, more passive language. You need somebody to write in that active language for you. If you're here and if you haven't been hired yet, I highly recommend this. It's a game changer, right? It's very hard to write about yourself. And I'm guessing a lot of you have noticed that. Who's noticed that it's very hard to write about yourself? You can't figure out the right tonality, so to speak, when you're writing about yourself. Not just what I can claim credit for, but how do I position, like how, how do I position the active voice without it sounding arrogant? Like how do I make it sound strong, but not overconfident in, in, in a simple way to explain it? You have to fill out these sections you have to be a master of keywords, right? This, you know, going through the keywords, using a word cloud, we talk a lot about this. This is the tip of the iceberg. So I went through a job posting the other day and to create a unique selling proposition for a PhD I was working with one-on-one, -on -one, right? And this is, goes hand in hand with the unique selling proposition that I'll show you in a second. Before we move on to number three though, I just wanna show you how many keywords I was able to pull off of one job posting. So to create your unique selling proposition, you have to know what the company needs, which is on the job posting, what you're good at or can be good at, because you can start a bullet point with ability to. You don't need to start it with expertise in, you can start it with ability to. It's probably a light bulb moment for a lot of you. And then what other PhDs are likely putting on there? You want to find your unique selling proposition, but it starts with the keywords. Look at how many keywords I found in one job posting. You know how many there are usually? The average? This is not even a lot. 50. 
50 on average, just about any job posting that you send me on LinkedIn or that I go through with a PhD, I will find 50 keywords. Guess how many of those keywords I will get on their resume? Guess how many of those keywords I'll get on their resume? Thirty to forty, because you have to put the results on there too. I will get thirty to forty of the keywords on their resume. That's ten x what most of you are doing. That's the difference. Now, getting referrals and connections is very challenging. You know, I really like to be in the corner of PhDs to do this because it's so easy just to sit here, right? This is incorrect networking. If you've seen me show this before, skimming on LinkedIn. How many of you are really good at surfing LinkedIn, looking at jobs and companies and people and like playing out scenarios in your head because we have rich internal environments as PhDs. So we play all, all these scenarios and that feels like work, but it's not actually executing in the real world. Type in yes if you know what I'm talking about. You'll get on LinkedIn. You'll think about your job search a ton. You'll go down these wormholes in your head about all these different options, contingency plans, the likelihood that somebody will get back to you, on and on and on. But you ha haven't actually done anything in the real world. That's the academic social norm, right? The theory of thinking about stuff, playing it around, working out scenario. But you don't have enough reference points to actually work out a scenario. All you do is talk yourself out of doing anything in the real world. You have to flip this on its head. You have to follow up. And you have to, have, you have to know how to follow up. One of the things I spend the most time doing with the PhDs I work with is writing scripts for them, the exact script for them to do. And it will take you, know, take you a few weeks of going through scripts and seeing how they're fra framed, right? They're framed specifically for every type of person. Is this an expert? that you're reaching out to? Is this a decision maker? Somebody that's in a director role? Is it a gatekeeper, talent acquisition specialist, recruiter, et cetera? Or is it somebody that's in the same position you wanna get in, in a proximal lateral position? They need to be framed differently. You have to get these referrals. I love tapping into my network to get PhDs hired. Why are you reinventing the wheel? If you can't get it started, I like to kickstart, right, your network. This is why I've really been looking forward to working with PhDs one-on-one -on -one again, because I would rather focus on quality than quantity. In this point of my career, I want to work with PhDs who are serious about getting hired, who are serious about an industry job, and not everybody's serious. But if you are serious, I love getting PhDs hired in this diamond program. You've seen me show this before. Look, it's just important for you to come back to the numbers. Come back. Why am I doing this? Rationale is important for motivation. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Because it works. You have to learn to do long tail keyword searches. Most PhDs that I start working with, they have a few companies they've heard of. I show them with a couple of long tail keyword searches, how to find all of this information aggregated together. A lot of you, you can't differentiate discovery and aggregation from right, qualifying and being critical. How many of you have started researching companies to work for, et cetera, but then that critical part of your mind turned on and you started qualifying? Well, do I really want to work here? Is the company big enough, small enough? Would they likely hire me? Right? Maybe you started looking for open jobs, job postings, and you got stuck on one. 
and then you found skills maybe you didn't have, et cetera, and you started playing out scenarios and qualifying before you took any more action. Type in yes if you know what I'm talking about. When I work with PhDs, I make them separate these steps, aggregation, discovery, from critiquing and qualifying. It's magic because you can turn off that part of your brain and just aggregate and research and put it together and not worry about whether or not it's possible. Because guess what? If somebody offered you a $2,000, a $250,000 job a year in Singapore right now or the other side of the world, a lot of you will, would actually consider it. And they said, oh, we'll pay for your entire family to move over. We'll pay for everything, all the expenses. You would consider it. So take the limits off. And I've actually seen somebody get hired for $250,000 in Singapore. That's how I have that example. Happens all the time. You don't know what's possible. You don't have the reference points. So stop disqualifying before you aggregate. On LinkedIn, of course, it shows you who all the employers are. Now you're going to reach out to somebody like the chairman or the director. When I work with PhDs one-on-one, -on -one, I do have them reach out to people and I'll often reach out back to back. So you'll reach out, I'll reach out, and then together you connect. Because when you have two people reaching out or if you're reaching out through multiple channels, LinkedIn and email, which I recommend using hunter.io, one of the many software programs that will give you a, uh, a lot of leverage in your job search. I also recommend using the Hemingway app to check your scripts. Most of you are, you suffer from the uh, curse of knowledge. You write too complex, employers right away are like, what is this person talking about? Use the Hemingway app. It takes that language down to the language level, the education level of most hiring managers and recruiters, seriously. So you'll reach out to each of these people differently, share, shared connections, you'll leverage your own shared connections, but also mine. And guess what? How many of you have not really mined the member's directory? Like you've looked through it, but you haven't really mined it or connected to as many people as you could, even those you have access to right now. That's something I want to help you do. We go through and we'll create a list of every person you're connected with and we'll, we'll classify them as being in the green stage, the yellow stage, or the blue stage here. Of course, the scripts, like I said, you want to write specifically carefully. I've given you a couple of apps that will help. You want them to be short. I enjoy writing scripts because when you do it a lot, it's much easier. And again, the script, I'll give you an example. I train a lot of PhDs on this. It's, it's, one, it's one thing that will really be an eye-opener for you. If you're reaching out to somebody who's like the director of operations, well, let's say a talent acquisition specialist, et cetera, and you send a script like this, do you want to uh, show more reverence or less reverence than somebody who's like in the same position that you want to get in? Like somebody that's also an R&D scientist. Do you want to show more reverence or less reverence? Who can tell me? It's counterintuitive, but you actually want to show less reverence. Why? Because the directors, the decision makers, the gatekeepers, they're used to having everybody kiss up to them. So you want to be respectful, but much more neutral. Whereas the person that's in industry, and they've only been in industry for a couple of years, and maybe they're in their first senior role, et cetera, they've never had anybody show appreciation to them. It's, they're new to industry. So you want to play up to it more. You want to congratulate them on their recent career, ask them how they did it, elevate their credibility. Now, I love when this happens. How many of you are like struggling to get responses from anybody right now? Here, here's what happens. That's 
one problem, but in your job search, once you solve one problem, guess what happens? You get to a higher level problem. I bet this has happened to some of you before. You get somebody to respond to you and now you're like, oh no, what do I say? (laughs) Right? So you go from nobody's responding on LinkedIn, nobody's responding, nobody's, and then they respond to you and you're like, what do I say? You freeze up. Their green dot turns on, on LinkedIn. They respond to you and you don't answer because you don't know what to say. And now you make them wait. And there you just burn that bridge. Because now like this person reached out to me, I connected, I responded right away. And they know that you like disappeared or your dot went from being green to not green anymore. And how does that make them feel? You burn bridges, just like you burn bridges when you upload a resume that's not complete, that's not 100% perfect. And guess what? On the back end, that employer marks it as rejected. They're not going to tell you. They don't send an automated email saying, hey, you were rejected. But in their system, it says you were considered for a job and rejected at the earliest stage. And now you will not be considered for another job at that company for six to 12 months. Type in oops if you didn't know that. So again, we want you to stop burning bridges. We want you to be prepared for the next step every step of the way. So when somebody replies to you, you have your elevator pitch ready. You have your unique selling proposition ready. This unique selling proposition, which is your technical skills combined in a unique way with your transferable skills to tell a story that is your personal brand. So they're not thinking, oh, this is Pravati, Pravata, you know, the highly skilled technical PhD. This is Pravita or Pravata, however you say it, the highly technically skilled PhD who is also great at collaborating with others and can manage projects, which no other PhD is communicating in their application. Unique selling proposition. Right, then we focus on your LinkedIn profiles. You have to get traction in your job search, build a home base, know the companies you're reaching out to, have connections you're reaching out to, start getting responses, and then have your LinkedIn profile with a higher level SSI score. I like to get everybody's above 70%. Over a thousand connections. Resume, right? This is the sixth class. Resume done perfectly, functional resume done, reviewed by me so that your professional profiles are done. Now you have to practice because it'll move to a phone screen extremely quickly. You have to do mock phone screens. You cannot just read answers. You cannot just study. You need behavioral practice, hence the accountability partners, the intimate WhatsApp group, working with me one-on-one, me giving you very tough phone mock phone screens personally. Crucial to do. You, you have to be able to not just carry a conversation. And most of you, I'm sorry, cannot, cannot do that. If I brought any of you on, I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Les, if I brought you on, Nalima, Colin, you would not be able to carry a conversation if I was asking you industry-level phone screen questions. And carrying a conversation is not enough. You have to command the conversation. They're looking for that. It's not in like an arrogant, uh, you know, pushy way, but you have to be able to hold that conversation, then move it forward in different directions, ask them questions in return as an equal. Most PhDs come off as non-committal and non-serious and as amateurs in phone screens. That's, those are the, that's the exact feedback that we get from employer after employer. Mock video interviews, the same. How many of you have had an interview and you haven't moved forward? You probably tried to rationalize it in all different ways. 
But really what it came down to is you didn't carry yourself like an industry professional. And the only way to learn how to do that is through behavioral practice because you don't have industry experience. So we do mock behavioral interviews over and over again, tons of reps until anybody can come on and ask you anything and you're not moved by it. You're confident, like in the healthy way, as in like uh, self-efficacy, like you know you can handle it. You're communicative. You enunciate your tonalities correct. You're engaged. You know, you're not like rah, rah, enthusiastic, but you're engaged. You're, you're happy to be there. Like, hello, if you're not 100% committed on the interview, 100% happy to be there, what do they think you're going to be like one year into the job? What do you think? Site visit preparation. Do you, I've been on site visits where they had cameras on the interviewees getting out of the car that drove them from the hotel to the parking lot. They got feedback to see how they interacted. If they were like loners by themselves or they interacted with the other candidates in the parking lot, they got feedback from the receptionist when they came in, were they polite, et cetera. They got feedback. I'm thinking of a company specifically, a biotech company in California that I worked for. They got feedback from the people at the hotel because all of their candidates came to that hotel. A lot of these companies will have dozens of candidates coming in every single week, a lot of them together for different jobs. Do you know how to perform, how to be your best self every step of the way? And then can you speak business strategy? There's going to be a point from the phone screen to the site visit, where you're going to be asked about mergers and acquisitions, restructuring, the competition in the market. They're testing your nomenclature here. And if you're not getting those reps in, and I love to do that. I like to talk one-on-one -on -one with PhDs about business. So you can get used to speaking the language of business because your interest is there. You just don't know how to speak about it, or you come across as posturing, pretending like you know how to speak about it. When you want to be the eager student, not the person who's pretending to have industry experience. And you will have to present for a job in industry. Very often it's three or four slides. You will come out of working with me one-on-one -on -one with your presentation in hand, which A, alleviates a ton of stress, right? When they say, they give you the presentation brief, like yours is done. You've done it through reps. You'll do it in front of a live audience so that you have it perfected and you're ready to give it. You'll also have those slides. So if they ask you certain questions or they ask you on the fly, which small and mid-sized companies sometimes do, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I have a couple of slides I could share you. You're ready. You stand out. All right, so that's really important. And then, and then doing this and, and really nailing that last step is so crucial because the worst fate, some of you have experienced this, is to get to the later stages of the interview and to fail. This takes us to the end of this show. You can learn about this program and all of our programs at CheekyScientist.com. If you are new to your job search, you don't know which position's right for you, you can go to PhDsGetHired.com. That's plural, PhDsGetHired.com to learn more about our flagship program, the Cheeky Scientist Association that has helped thousands of PhDs around the world get hired. It'll train you on the basics of your job search and help you find the right position for you. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.
am Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's Cheeky Radio, C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees, Nobody else offers this. PhDsgethired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD. And remember that knowledge is power and your network is your net worth.